0: Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For the show, we usually have two co-hosts, myself, Hunter Sagona, and my friend, Sean Ramkunas, lounging on his bed. Sean and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique for music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Here's our quote of the day You don't get music in your daily life do you even in a movie it's unnatural to have music i always feel it's unnatural but i want to make it not unnatural to construct reality in another sense joe hisashi
1: and today we get to continue our discussion of joe hisashi and just for those who are just catching up joe hisashi is a japanese composer and musical director and most acclaimed film composer in Japan. The success of the first Joe Hisashi podcast was incredible, and I felt like we did another, and I think that's the perfect segue for us to get into his music. So off we go. All right, and we are back in business, my friends, although you didn't know that because, you know, we haven't come to the studio in a long time. Uh, He took a a month off, but now you know. Uh, But off we go. We're back with some Joe Hisashi. And as Hunter and I alluded to earlier, we are in love with this composer. We are really liking his music, so I think we really wanted to get back into the swing of things, especially with some more Joe. So off we go with some Panyo which was released in the year 2004. And the song in particular that we're going to talk about is Mother of the Sea. But before we get right into the song, Hunter, did you know that the name Ponyo is a onomatopoeia?
0: I did not know that.
1: Well, interestingly enough, her name means soft, squishy softness.
0: Isn't that interesting? Ah. Which certainly is what she looks like.
1: That's true, yeah. She has that figure. And for those who don't know the movie very well, it's basically this young sort of fish-like creature that becomes human and then enjoys being human so much that she wants to live her life as a human and falls in love with a very cute boy. Uh, So, and also, Hunter, did you know that the design of the typhoon that was in the movie was actually based off of this really famous painting by Kanagawa, the Wave Off... Oh, sorry, it's by Hokusai, and it's it's by... Oh my goodness, let me try it one more time. It is the design of the waves of the Typhoon that was based on uh, a piece by Hokusai, and the, and the piece itself is the Wave Off Kanagawa. Did you know that?
0: I did not know that, but I know that painting or the the you know the famous image of the wave. Right. So it makes sense thinking about it.
1: Right, it's a very beautiful picture, yes, and the, for those who wouldn't know it, they would know it just by looking at it. All right, let's get right into the music uh, mm-hmm. because that's what we know and we love talking about it. So Hunter, let's 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 start with you. What did you have to say about this piece?
0: So you know, the first thing that struck me is it's three, four time, which as we've talked about in, in previous podcasts, um, three, four time, I find to be the most moving time signature in terms of like physical movement. It, it makes you want to move. Um, and I'm sure Yeah, and we've talked about the many symbolic reasons of three, four time. Um, and you know, the, the, in this case, the melody is sung by an operatic singer which is really a divergent choice from a lot of the other works we've talked about by him. He uses choir, but this solo opera, uh, the solo operatic female voice is Mm -hmm. very different.
1: Who Um, is that operatic female voice for those who don't
0: in, in this particular recording, I believe it is sung by, um, I'm going to try to not butcher her name, which is, uh, Hayashi Misako. Uh, and Hisashi is conducting the performance. Um, and you know, in terms of the actual music itself, in combination with the voice in particular, what the mm-hmm. voice is singing, the melody,
1: right.
0: um, in conjunction with the harp, it really gives this like bubbly feel. Mm. Um, it's very water-like, which obviously fits with the theme of the movie, and the melody itself is rising. So the rising plus the harp plus the voice Gives this sense of water or, or coming out of the water, underneath the water. Mm-hmm. I think it's very cool. And the lyrics that she's singing—if you look up the, uh, the lyrics, she's talking about living in the water. Like mm-hmm. she, it's the it's the I'm assuming Ponyo, that is like the it, it, it's about Panya,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: talking about the other creatures in the sea and then what it was like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a short it's a short set of lyrics, but right. It's very nice, and it really adds to the feel of the, the piece. And then there's that soft choir in the background every so often, which at you, it might represent the other voices in the sea that the uh, sure. poem talks about.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Did you know in this case, the mom is the sea? The mom really? is the sea. Is the, is the is the daughter. And then her father is sort of like a seaman... Uh, of sort of a traveler who just travels the sea and sort of takes care of you know her daughter in that way. Um, but it's also a sea creature as well. But um, her father, dubbed by the Liam Neeson, who I thought was incredible in this movie. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So what I noticed, Hunter, you made some really great points about the water, three, four time. But I want to just talk quickly about what I thought and I, I really I, I love the opening because it just kinda washes through you like water in a way. It just kind of the opening is just so like soft and just so genuine. I've never listened to something like that before that just kind of like it seeps in. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have like a very clear entrance, but it just kinda like it just starts. And I think that's that, that kind of almost resonates with water in a way. Like it there's no like clear like foundation of when it starts but it just kind of like it gradually Mm -hmm. moves in and i think that's really cool and i also liked how elegant this piece is it's very polite and very kind of nice and it almost reminded me of that passage that we listened to with porco rosso yeah which i thought was very classy and i thought this was a very classy piece of music very dolled up in you know bow tie tuxedo (laughs) you know some dark black shoes you name it That's exactly what I think is going for. And uh, I think that the soprano, Misako, she is just, it's so glorious. Like it just, it almost, it almost feels like the melody floats right on top of the orchestra. And there's no push or pull. It's just kind of like, it just kind of just resonates there. And there's a little bit of a climax in the middle of the piece, but it just kind of just waves back and just, it's almost, it's so peaceful. And I think he does a really great job of setting the unnaturalness of his music as he mentioned earlier with the quote you know Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and we talked about this when we talked about Bach which was simplicity in complexity you know the complexity is it's it's the atmosphere like when we're looking at the score we might say oh wow this is really complex but inwardly as we're watching and listening to the to the movie it seems simple Mm-hmm. It's really simple, and I, I love that that sort of double-edged sword. That's kind of like, on one hand, it sounds like it's really easy. On the other hand, the soprano is working her butt off to hit those crazy high notes, right? But it sounds like it sounds like butter and bread. You know, it's it's so soft, so beautiful. And Joe makes it seem so easy. You know, mm-hmm. and. You know, as I was mentioning with the opening, I wrote the opening is so inviting, as I mentioned earlier, and it feels like it. We're we're kind of getting into this sort of Mahlerian passage, of like very like um, it's when I think of like hymns or sort of uh, sort of slow music, I think of that. That kind of reminds me of Mahler in a way, where Mahler sort of builds in his own music but then uh, it, it doesn't really, it, it just kind of sets there. And then you have this kind of really glorious moment. And that's what I thought about this piece because it's just so beautiful. And then right at the end, he just adds a really crisp major seventh chord that just kind of almost fills the air with this kind of like ease. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, and, and, and we've talked about this. Like to me, it felt like it, it didn't really end. And that felt yeah. fine. You know, I'm getting used to, we, we've we had therapy conversations about how <laughs> I am not always good with like clean endings, but his endings can also feel not finished, but also feel like it can continue on. Yes. What do you, what do what do you think?
0: I, I completely agree. You know, your, your map out of the song, it definitely rises to this crescendo. And then um, as she fa- as the singer fades out, the orchestra also fades out playing these chord changes and then right, it it dies off before a really punching resolution, which is not something he, I think does often when we talked about him the last time, almost every song we were like, it didn't really end. I mean, it's like, (laughs) there was no real end. Um, right. Yeah. We're like, that's it. That's it. Yeah. But you know, like a lot of the movies that, he's scoring for the ending itself is, is unclear. So symbolically it makes sense why he would want his piece to end that way right. to help the, the, the atmosphere of this isn't the end. There yeah. is no end.
1: And in, in my one side note would be, I love how at the end of the piece it ends very quietly and then he just starts clapping.
0: Yes. He <laughs> I love He, that. Yeah, he yeah. cuts off and you're like, Oh, is it done?
1: yeah he's such a genuinely nice person and i think someone who does that recognizes talent and is able to say thank you for creating what i what i just made and thank you for being a part of it and i think that's such a beautiful message and i i love that of him and i love that he does that um let's talk about the next piece because i think it's really interesting and hunter knows that i have been inching for some more baroque slash renaissance music, Mm -hmm. and this was my sort of excuse to get back in that arena. So Hunter is giggling and smiling at me right now. But the next piece we're going to talk about is Mr. Doe and the Egg Princess, which premiered in the year 2011. And uh, the soundtrack that we're going to talk about is actually the whole movie. And I know you're saying, Sean, the whole movie? And I'm saying yes, because it is a short film that is 12 minutes that uses Hunter, did you know, 24,000 thousand drawings
0: does it really
1: yeah and interestingly enough i found out a a sort of an interesting fact which is the witch in the film is based off of baba yaga
0: okay that makes sense
1: however a lot of the witches in studio ghibli movies look like baba yaga
0: i was gonna say that seems to be a reoccurring theme
1: which is definitely the reoccurring theme um you know, instead of doing the song, Hunter, we mm-hmm. both agreed to talk about the soundtrack, which right. is definitely about 10, 12 minutes long.
0: About, yeah. So, Each one's like a minute and a half.
1: And I love the use of Baroque music in this case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think I think it's so cool. And I, I was telling Hunter, I, I wanted to leave this as a surprise, but... The piece itself is very rudimentary. It's very basic. We understand yeah. what it sounds like. But did you know, Hunter, that I actually I actually think I'm coming in here with a conspiracy theory this afternoon.
0: Oh, okay. Tell me what you
1: think, right or wrong. I actually think that this piece was based on the keyboard suite number four in D minor written by Handel, which is a Saraband. And I want you to take a listen to it for only 15 seconds. So take a listen. Okay. Okay, and let's listen to the beginning of the folia.
0: Pretty, it's pretty close. And well, I mean, if I had to guess, I would say, you know, he was probably, oh, excuse me, as I choke on my own saliva in my throat. Um, <laughs> uh, perhaps he's a fan of Handel and wanted to take the, the piece and, you know, you change it and then all the other tracks on this album are variations of that original theme.
1: Right. Exactly. So,
0: you know, you, you, you modify it. If I'm not mistaken, La Folia, I believe, means insanity, um, hmm. I th- if I think, but it's but it's Spanish, it's not Italian, um, so I'd have to check that. But yeah, I could definitely see where you're coming from with that.
1: Hmm. Uh, so La Folia has a long history. Its distinctive chords first developed out of the late 15th century Portugal, where it was used in popular music festivals. It's named Folly or Madness in Italian, Refers to the frenzied way peasants twirled to the music.
0: Ah, okay. So it's a yeah. it's a dance style.
1: Yeah. So also interestingly enough, the one the first one we listened to, the sarabande, is also a dance. It's a slow dance.
0: That's a slow dance, right? And yeah. I wouldn't imagine it's very fren- very frenzied.
1: It is, yeah. Um. So let's get right into it. We talked about the the intro. Um, as I as I mentioned. Uh, to you hunter earlier th- the intro introduction to me wasn't very impressive i thought it was very kind of it set at the groundwork for what's going to happen later so right. i think there's really there's really a not a lot to say i thought it was very repetitive mm-hmm. so is there anything that you want to say about the theme
0: no other than the instrumentation being harpsichord violin and shallow
1: right right that's the, that's exactly right good
0: and three four time
1: three four time yes what it wouldn't be, Sasha, without a three or four times. No, um, it's interestingly enough, we get to the first variation of that same melody. Uh, we return to three,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as we were playing in three before, but we get some pizzicato.
0: Yeah, that's it. Adds a nice feel to it. That pizzicato. It's calm, right. but it keeps moving.
1: It's light, and I think yeah, that very. definitely treads well with with the music. Um, and one of the greatest tools in Baroque music, my friend is for composition.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they used a lot of math.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. What were you
0: thinking of? Scales. Oh yes. Of course. After our, after our Bach discussion, how could I not have thought
1: of that? Yeah. So scales is huge here. And I I immediately thought about that Bach episode and I think Mm -hmm. that he does that really well in this. Um, using those scales, definitely playing around in the same key of D minor, which also is the, the key of um, uh, Handel's uh, sort of theme, too. Mm-hmm. And that's all I said about the first variation. I, I didn't really think there was very much in the first variation.
0: No, that's, that's pretty much it for me.
1: Okay, all right. So let's go to variation number two. Mm-hmm. which I thought was more slow and expansive uh, we've had this small discussion about baroque music when we have this expansive and slower aspect we have more time to play with there's more elaboration within the phrase uh, mm-hmm. your thoughts um, on the second variation
0: well the you know by by taking down the speed a little bit you know it, it makes it much more lyrical mm-hmm. than you know baroque I wouldn't say baroque instrumental music is necessarily always very lyrical. Mm -hmm. Um, This one happens to be as it's slower. It has a much more fluid feel to it. Right. Um, And Obviously this is not Baroque music, but it's clearly written in the Baroque style Mm -hmm. and the three, four it's, you know, it's written in three, four, but what's funny is it has this very standard four, four feel to it. I think Mm -hmm. because it's slower, it's almost, it almost feels like there should be an extra beat that is lost. Um, but that's, that's just something that I picked up on. And then of course you get halfway through the piece and it speeds back up.
1: Right. Sure. Interestingly enough, we then speed up and then we get to this sort of interplay between these two violins.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. I noticed that too.
1: And then I wrote within the second variation, I felt like it doesn't finish.
0: As most of his stuff apparently doesn't. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I was definitely wanting to listen to the third variation, which then we hear a more full chamber orchestra. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then, something... Sorry, go ahead, go ahead.
0: No, I was going to say was uh, one thing to note is just they really stress in the second half of the piece, the 3-4 mm-hmm. time, because there's a very heavy beat on one. Yes. They really place a lot of emphasis on one, which mm-hmm. keeps the end of the song driving, but it doesn't really drive to anywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. right and interestingly enough we get a new instrument that actually wasn't used in baroque music which adds to the modernistic element of this piece mm-hmm. i'm not sure if you notice this but xylophone
0: yes actually i did note that it's very quick yeah but then comes in as a larger part in a later variation
1: right yes No. Yeah, i totally agree and then we get one of my favorite breakdowns in Baroque history, The Jig. The Jig. It won't be The Jig without that. And and here's, here's something interesting, Hunter. We've, we've talked about this on this show before. The use of 3-4 versus 6-8. Mm-hmm. And I think that can definitely be... We haven't really seen the score for this, so I think we can probably say... Is he using six eight in this section, or is he continuing to use three four? Because the jig is definitely developing, and it feels like a stronger two, but he's also continuing with that that three feel. What do you think?
0: So, are we are we on variation
1: three? I think we're still on variation three, yeah.
0: Okay, just because I know four, there's a there's an it really picks up into um, right. compound meter, but for three, I would say. My impression was that it remained in three, despite picking up speed, mm. and it's you know it's much heavier. So I don't know. You could argue that it's six eight, but I don't know. I don't think so.
1: Right, right. I think it's interesting because then it plays around with that melody, and then variation four starts, and then we know that we're in a secular dance that adds to the six eight indefinitely.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then as we're moving on, I think we go back to 3-4 and then we go back to 6-8, which then leads to our one of our favorite variations, number five. For me, that was my favorite because it almost feels like everything is breaking down and things are crumbling and things are kind of like going and it's disastrous. You know, it's a breakdown, mm-hmm. you know? Concerto grosso. I have – and and then this sort of concerto grosso sound of different instruments playing at different times and together and sort of playing against each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it slows down, and I actually wrote smoother and claves. Did you notice that?
0: Smoother and claves?
1: Yeah, that's what I wrote down. Hmm. Did you get to that section? Did you I hear that at I all? Heard the,
0: I didn't think I heard the claves, but – I did notice the addition, you know, they bring the vibraphone back to double the string part, and okay. they even then replace the vibraphone with the xylophone right? Um, to give that much higher that plinky feel, like, you know, the almost like a glockenspiel, right. which adds a little bit of a different color to it.
1: And then we get to the coda, which then features the harpsichord, obviously Hisashi playing because he's a pianist himself. Mm-hmm. and we get to the drum, and then we get the trumpet. Yeah, I know, the first thing.
0: appearance of your trumpet.
1: I know, I'm very excited. And then, Hunter, we, we start minor, but how do we end in this piece?
0: Does it even really end? <laughs> no, in this this one, I think this one actually does end. It does end, yes. The Baroque style, you can't just leave that hanging. It has to finish out.
1: Right, right. And we, we end major...
0: Yes. Uh, oh, did I not actually say that? Yes, you ended.
1: No, okay. I. You know, it's, no, it's good, and I did enjoy that. And right at the end, I wrote, "Wow, what a transition back to the melody
0: mm-hmm.
1: from all this, and then it ends major, and it's glorious, and it's mm-hmm. it's so lovely." Um, go check this piece out. It's it's different, and it's it's you know it has these broke tendencies, but the film itself is such. I'm sure it, it sort of plays around with these, this 15th century aesthetic, but also plays around with the modernistic effect of, of music. And I, I think that's such a cool effect for Hisashi to do. Mm-hmm. Um, again, more brilliance by Hisashi. And uh, Hunter, I think it's a great time for us to take a break. What do you think? Sure. Yeah, I think we're going to take a quick break. Um, if you like these podcasts, please think about subscribing. It would mean so much to Hunter. It would make him smile. I mean, have some cash in his hand right there. And if you'd like to contribute to this podcast, please consider going to anchor.com and search Music Speaks Podcast. Again, it is time for a break sponsored by our friends at Anchor. More Hasashi on the way. Mm-hmm. All right, and we are back with part two. And the movie we're going to talk about is The Wind Rises uh, in 2013. And the selection that we're going to talk about in the movie is called A Journey. Uh, just some fun facts, Hunter. Did you know that this was the last film for the original director of Studio Ghibli, Hayazaki?
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah, this is his last film. And the film, Hunter, was based on World War II and was Oscar nominated. Really? Yeah, it was.
0: I knew it was. I knew it was about World War II. I did not know it was Oscar nominated.
1: Just as a small tidbit, the interesting aspect for this is that this ensemble is a lot different. The mm-hmm. ensemble includes balalaika, the bayon, the guitar, and a small orchestra. I think this is so cool, you know. Yeah. And as a joke, I always think that Joe knows how to set up a small pizza restaurant in Italy <laughs> it has that sort of sound um, before. I, I don't really have a lot of notes for this one Hunter, but I would love to hear what you think about this. Cause I, I definitely think that this piece has a lot of Italian um, sound to it. If, 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 if I can say so.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely does. I mean, I know that the story revolves around um, a aircraft designer Um who gets his inspiration from um reading about the works of a very famous Italian aircraft designer he's born in Japan so he's reading about these foreign aircraft uh aircrafts built in Italy during the wartime or prior right. to the wartime and because of that the influence of Italian music is very prominent like you know there's the there's the guitar which is being played in a very stereotypical Italian way in conjunction with an accordion. Um, and there's a lot of chromatic motion, which is also very common in Italian folk music, a lot of like half steps up and down.
1: Nice. Um,
0: and it's, there's the the second section of it. There's this like, um, not even an umpa. I don't know how you, I don't know what you would call it, but it's like bump bum 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 bum. bum. that's very also very folk Italian. I mean, it it has a lot of qualities that a lot of Italian folk music would share with that Hisashi twist in it, right? uh, which makes it sound very characteristically him, you know, the larger orchestra. And there's also one note that I have here is there's halfway, there's like the string tremolo and it, it gives like this very airy kind of quality, like you're suspended in midair. It's very cool. Um, I was very happy with this piece,
1: right? And you know, I didn't have too much to say about this mm-hmm. piece because I wanted you to talk about the development of this music. And it's it's so it's so hisashi to use different mm-hmm. cultures' music in his own movie. I think that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it's and so. We saw exciting. he did it
0: with uh, Porcoroso and with um, what was the other one? It was not about Japan. Uh, was maybe.
1: it? Um, was it Kiki?
0: Yeah, maybe it was Kiki's Delivery Service. I don't remember where she is in that.
1: I think she's in Stockholm, I think.
0: Oh, you're yes, I think you're right.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. And interestingly enough, the one note that I really wanted to talk about was, you know, we're, we're back in 3-4, mm-hmm. of course, because it wouldn't be Hisashi without 3-4. Um, but... I love how it almost feels like this very small folk music trio. And then it opens up to this small, like, little orchestra. And then it comes back to this small little piece of um, instrumental playing. And I love this this affect of, like, folk music meets orchestra, then orchestra meets folk music. I think it's so beautiful and, and so intuitive and so different. Mm. And I, I love that for him. And I'm so glad that we were able to talk about this piece. Uh, again, this was The Wind Rises. Uh, it was featured in 2013, and the song was A Journey. And now we're going to talk about another movie that came out in 2013, which is The Tale of the Princess Cayuga, uh, which also, again, like I said, was in 2013. And the piece itself that we want to talk about is Flying and hunter i'm not sure if you know but the movie was actually based off the 10th century japanese folk story
0: it was something about bamboo right that's right that's right i did i did read that
1: do you want to read this next little thing that i have here
0: oh wait hang on i was on my document uh nope that's ponyo hang on huh it so i was on the right part but i was reading off of my own notes all right now where are we the tale. No, yes, I oh yeah, the tale of the bamboo cutter—that's what it was. I knew it had something to do with bamboo. That was the that was the folk tale, right. which tells of a poor couple that discover a mystic girl in the forest and take it upon themselves to raise her as a princess.
1: That's right, and I think this piece is just the greatest microcosm of Hisashi's music mm-hmm. because it it, it explores um experimentalism it explores minimalism it explores jazz oh it is so perfect and it, it, i love I love how when we were sort of picking songs to do and i was like ah oh, let's do this one you were like okay and you were like oh let's do this one i'm like okay and we listened to it and this piece is a minute and 30 seconds mm-hmm. i thought that was so cool but it, it's so short but it gets to the point so yes, fast it's so amazing. Um, it starts out with this quiet, serene, with flutes, and then and then it picks up, and then you feel like you're flying. Um, thoughts on the the introduction because the introduction is so hazy, but then when you visualize it, you see the different flutes playing with tremolo. I think it's it, it it's so gratifying to listen to. What, what are you what did your takeaway from the beginning of that?
0: I mean it really it's a very peaceful and calm piece and of course the flute stands out right at the beginning um and there's this like it's calm but it also has this sense of like there's a there's a longing quality to the music um and then the tempo kicks in very gently it's not hard but it is a four four which is pretty uh marked it's pretty it's pretty present um and hisashi has a way of talking or not talking he doesn't say anything Um, has a way of like making this romantic music um, with this hidden longing in it, which also is sad, which also is happy. It's such a strange combination that works so well.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And I love how there's a moment where the strings just kind of hold you by suspense and you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And then whoosh. Yeah. It almost reminded me of Kiki in that way. Where like it, yeah. it kind of lets you on edge, and then off we go. And then it's like, oh my goodness gracious, it, it, it's flying and it's beautiful.
0: Um, yeah, it's a sense of adventure,
1: right? Yeah, and there's such motion and suspense in that in that moment. You're like you're thinking so many different things, but then the music comes in, and then it, it just kind of. I guess watching it would also be helpful mm-hmm. but listening to it also felt like you were able to listen and, and you could almost imagine in your head what was happening at that time. Right. Um, and I, I love that and we get these great feelings of joy and love and admiration and something I, I think that Hasashi does better than any other composer I've ever heard is the emotion in music
0: mm-hmm. setting
1: the emotional scene in music
0: yeah, prior just, to seeing anything,
1: he just sees it before anyone else, and I think it's such a, a such a nice thing to do, and he does it so great. Mm-hmm. Um, your thoughts on on that before we close up and take another quick break?
0: No, I mean you you said it well. It's just you know the the atmospheric setting. It really, without even seeing any of the like because I presume you haven't seen this. I mean I haven't. Right. Um, and yet I feel like, you know, you already know the tone of the, of the story before you even see it. And I will say, I read the synopsis. It is a thoroughly depressing movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yet I could see how there's like a, you know, there's a beauty in that. And it comes through in the music. So I think that he right. did a good job of portraying it.
1: I think so, too. And just as our friend Handel did a great job with presenting Joe Hisashi with that piece, <laughs> Of uh, Folia, I think it's time that we handle our talks through our social media handles. So, if you'd like to follow us on social media, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. On Twitter, we are at Music Speaks underscore Pod. On Instagram, we are Music Speaks underscore Podcast, where I post every Tuesday. On Facebook, Music Speaks Podcast, and TikTok, it can't be any easier at Music underscore Podcast. Again, Hunter. Let's uh, take another break and when we come back we will talk about some more Hisashi and we will hear from our friends at Anchor. Okay, and we're back and uh, we're going to finish our last third segment by talking about two movies that, two pieces I mean, that came out in 2019. The first one is Children of the Sea uh-huh. and uh, the piece in particular is called Song of the Stars. Here's a little bit of it. Uh, The original musical score of the film is composed by Joe Hisashi, a long-time collaborator of Studio Ghibli, and when talking about the film, Hisashi says, What's interesting about this movie is that it has things you wouldn't expect as story. I stuck to a minimalistic music style for the entire picture, so it has been quite a challenge as a film score. The film inspires the viewer's imagination of the universe's memories, In the effervescence of life.
0: Ah, the effervescence of life.
1: You know, that's the word when you use when you want people to think that you're smart. No, I'm kidding. Joey Sashi, you were very smart. Um, Going right along. uh, Let's talk about this again, Hunter. Yeah. Um, This, again, was a very interesting work because it was short.
0: Very short, yeah.
1: Um, Again, maybe like a minute? Uh,
0: Yeah, I think it was like a minute, minute 30.
1: Minute 30, yeah, I think so too. I didn't really have a lot of notes to say about it, but I, I, I will try to elaborate with what I have. Um, I thought that it started, it felt like a clock.
0: I know, I could see, I could definitely see that image.
1: You know what I mean? Like, it felt very organized, but it also felt very minimal, as Hisashi was mentioning in that quote. Um, and, you know, maybe Joe is right about the Waltz, really being the merry-go-round of life, because you can't really escape it, can you, Joe mm-hmm. You know, he's always using 3-4. Uh, that's what we're trying to say. It, the piece is also in 3-4. Um, your thoughts, Hunter, before I continue.
0: Yeah, well, what's funny is the piece is in 3-4, but it actually starts in 4, which really makes it feel very off-putting.
1: Oh, sure, yeah.
0: Like, the, the first couple of bars are all in... It's in 4, and so you're like, okay, it's not going to be waltz feel but then it is so you're like okay um but i mean as far as my notes go there's a definite pulse that drives it and it's Mm -hmm. and it's very grand that those are the two main things that stuck out to me
1: yeah to me what also stuck out was the beautiful and luscious chords that he uses again Mm -hmm. and the melody again has this joe hisashi sweeping motion Mm -hmm. which i think we should make a technical term out of because he uses it (laughs) so much the sweeping motion and again quite short but again it feels like we keep going on and there's really no ending but again joe Hizashi can use his melody anywhere and it adds to this minimalistic style that he talks about in this quote
0: Mm -hmm.
1: yeah any other thoughts you have about this before we continue
0: no, just that the minimalism, I think, is what makes this particular piece unique from his others. Not to say that there isn't minimalistic techniques he uses in other right. pieces of his, mm-hmm. but I think it stands out most in this one. Right. And you know, minimalism, depending on how blatant it is, can be unsettling. Right. Or it can be very comforting, depending on what you like. I know I like minimalistic music, some minimalistic music. Right. Um, And I like the way it's used often in movie and TV. My mother hates it. (laughs) So it's like, you know, it depends. Sure. Sure.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because this one was definitely different than others we've talked about before. Um, However, speaking of different, the next one we're going to talk about was written for Joe Hisashi's video game music career. So I'm excited to talk about that. And, again, like I mentioned earlier, this one also came out in 2019. And the video game itself is called Ni No Kuni. And the title is Wrath of the White Witch. Which is not a
0: Narnia reference.
1: Which is not, thank you, Hunter, which is not a Narnia reference. Um, Hunter and I actually listened to this whole piece together Mm -hmm. the first time we listened to this. um, And he heard me gasp, and he heard me go... (gasps) It was just so good. Oh, my God. This is so good. Oh, my God. And he was very tired at the end of the piece. He's like, "You're going to say that again because I can't take any milk in. Um, this piece took me by surprise. This might have yeah. been one of my favorites of his that we listened to today uh, besides the La Folia that we talked about. Um, but let's just get into this because this, as I men- as I wrote in my note, it is so good. it is so good and i don't i don't really think that's a musical comment i just wrote it is so good um let's talk about the opening real quick Mm -hmm. it had the intensity of a marvel movie did it It, not yeah yeah what do you think
0: oh um no i was gonna say you know we talked about with um actually a little bit with when i was the guest on the podcast and when my sister was a guest we talked a little bit about video game music, and we also talked about it with a couple of other guests. And it's really an underestimated genre uh, of composition because, you know, in recent years, I'm gonna say maybe over the last 10, 15 years, well, I'll go as far as 20 years, video game music has become an industry of itself. Sure. You know what I mean? The video game industry is very, Uh, cinematic now in the sense Mm. of they're they're looking for all the elements you would have in a movie or a TV show, and Mm. the score is no exception. And so you have music like this, which, you know, he's a movie composer, he's a film composer who is now doing music for a video game. Mm. And so you'd expect similar elements to show up and sure enough, you know, you said it's got the grandioseness of a Marvel movie opening. It, you know, it's this big major opening sound. And then you you get this nice recorder, this higher pitch recorder, which makes you feel like you're back in time. And a lot of these stories that he composes for do deal with an older world or, or you know, thinking back to an older time or having to find the, the simplicity of an older world in a modern world. Right. Um, That's right. And I feel like it, it, it could definitely feel like a film score, but it is for a video game, so it adds a little extra something when you're playing.
1: Yeah, I honestly thought it was a movie. And then I, I did, did a well.
0: research, and then I was like, oh,
1: this is a video game. Mm-hmm. How about that? And, you know, interestingly enough, I mean, again, the large chords always make me feel happy because I'm a brass player, and that also kind of gets me going. Mm-hmm. Um, but also let's just talk about the expressive side of this piece too. Um, When, when the melody starts with the pan flute, I was, I was just, I was taken away because it's just so lyrical, but it was also like, it wasn't lyrical, but it was also very forthcoming. Like it felt like it it needed to figure itself out. And it, it talks about the journey Mm -hmm. that one takes and, You know, if if that isn't Joe Hisashi, then I I think we've lost the message of this podcast. But I think something interestingly enough with this music is that Joe tells more than one story. Joe tells the heroic side, but also the scary side. The other emotions, all these different kinds of emotions of feeling afraid or feeling scared comes into place. And then Mm -hmm. we, we have all these emotions of wanting to, to do something or or feeling driven, but also feeling scared, but also feeling excited. But he puts all those together and it, it's so breathtakingly beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, you yeah. can hear a lot of different emotions in the piece. You know, the you have the major grand opening and mm-hmm. then you've got a slower section where it's a little toned down and it's uh, sadder. And then you have the section of the the boy vocals Right. It's being sung, obviously, by what sounds like a very young boy, which clearly would be a reference to the fact that the game is about a boy who's looking for his lost mother. Right. So you could see the symbolism there and that song that he's singing, which is the main theme of the of the game. is sad, clearly, I think, because he's lost his mother. He has to go find her. but at the same time, like you said, there's a drive, there's an adventurousness to it. I mean, it's a game, so there's a large world that he's traveling through, I'm, you know, I assume. Right. So it's all sort of wrapped into this nice package of the theme.
1: Right, yeah. It's interesting also, because when the melody comes back, the pan flute doesn't have the melody, but there's a boy singing the melody that the pan flute
0: had mm-hmm.
1: that I think is really powerful. And then you can make the connection to the, the boy being the character in the game.
0: Right, yeah, that's what I that's what I mean by the, the, the vocalist right is representative of the of the main character.
1: Right, right. And I think that's really cool and again if you haven't checked this, this, this music out, oh my goodness, get on it because it is so incredible. So pop different to it, people and pop to it. Um Hunter, such a pleasure because we talk about his music all the time and we want to talk about it more so if you are interested in us talking about it more please listen and then also give us some feedback and talk to us about what you like and what you don't like but this will also be our next uh topic we're talking about jahu hashashi soon so uh please check that out and uh we'll see you next time so take care All right, thank you so much, Joe Hisashi, for always blowing our minds and expanding our musical repertoire. So, Hunter, I think something that we should do before we end the show is let's talk a little bit about about what we learn about music when we listen to Joe. Sure. What do you think?
0: Well, for me, I mean his his music is very, um, you know, it's very distinctive, much like Williams has his sound. Hisashi has his sound and I think one thing listening to all of his songs uh, or rather the the scores to his movies is I think we learn to appreciate the characteristics the, the specific characteristics of a specific composer. We look for those things that make the composer unique compared to others.
1: Right and when we look for those things we can find discovery or enlightenment or words that help us maybe not help us describe things perfectly but like we say you know on the podcast music speaks louder than words do sometimes and Joey Sashi does echo at that point really well where he's able to project something even unnatural to the screen and make it look and sound amazing mm-hmm. um, so kudos to him probably we'll do another one we're probably going to do another one just because mm-hmm. we're starting to love his music so much um and that's it for me my name is sean Rinkunis.
0: and i'm hunter sagona and we will see you next time and remember to keep listening to what you love <laughs>